Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. I've entitled this Bible study... Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And the sub, subtitle is Longing for the Light in Troubled Times. And certainly we're living in troubled times with all the COVID-19 and a lot of uh, political uh, and social unrest and upheaval going on in the nation. Uh, perhaps there is some uh, words of comfort and consolation for us in what we often refer to as the Christmas story. So today we're going to be uh, talking about that, uh, the title that I've given it comes from uh, uh, Charles Wesley's uh, wonderful hymn. In fact, it's my favorite Christmas hymn. And so before we get into the uh, session, uh, before we get into what uh, Luke had to say about all of this, uh, I want us to just take a few minutes to review some of the messianic expectations from the Old Testament. Because if we're talking about long expected Jesus, uh, uh, obviously that that seems to infer that there was an expectation on the part of someone uh, that eventually someone would come who would deal with all of these problems. And certainly the first promise regarding that is found in Genesis chapter 3 at the time of the fall. You'll recall that uh, the, our primeval parents had covered themselves with vegetation because of the shame that they were experiencing and their sense of guilt. And the reason they felt guilty was because they were guilty of sin. They had, uh, they had broken the only prohibition that God had uh, provided there, uh, had given them, and that was that they were to refrain from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they wanted to know what was good and what was evil, uh, God would tell them that. They didn't need to discover that on their own and make it, make it up as they went along. Nevertheless, uh, the, our, our primeval parents were covered in vegetation. God sought after them, replaced uh, <clears throat> their uh, fig leaves with, a, with animal skins, which is a picture of uh, sacrifice. And it certainly uh, depicts the fact that it's necessary for there to be a substitutionary sacrifice in order for uh, sin to be dealt with. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, God says something to the serpent himself. He says, the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head 
he shall bruise your head. And the, and the word there can just as easily be translated crush. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that's a picture of what happened at the, uh, at the cross when God dealt fully and finally with the problem of sin and put away the sin of all of, uh, all of His people. Uh, when we, so, so you've got this initial promise that's made there in the, in the Garden of Eden. But then as you continue to read through the Old Testament, there is an unfolding revelation of what God was going to do. For example, um, God revealed uh, what family that this Redeemer, this Messiah, uh, would come from. And in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, it says the scepter, and scepter obviously is a symbol of rulership, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his notice it says that this redeemer who is coming is going to be a jew He's going to come specifically from the tribe of Judah. Remember, uh, uh, Jacob had twelve sons, and uh, and the fourth of those sons, uh, number that is number four of his sons, was uh, was the one named Judah. And he says that this one who will come from the tribe of Judah will rule and not only will he rule and you say well he's going to he's going to rule in uh, in Israel or rule among the Jews but it says the obedience of the nations is is this is a uh, this is a worldwide ruling so clearly this is a reference to the Messiah and in fact uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 16 we not only know what tribe he would come from but God even revealed the family uh, within that tribe of Judah uh, and in 2 Samuel again verse 7 verse 16 where God speaks to David and makes promises to him. He says, and God says to him, and your house, your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, of course, uh, King David ultimately died and he was buried and uh, uh, was... was uh, Peter even made reference to that in in his uh, sermon in Acts chapter two, where he said David is still in his grave. But uh, the reference here is to David's greater son, the Lord Jesus, who ultimately would come. Also tells us something about his prophetic uh, office in Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, verses seventeen and following. And uh, Moses uh, is speaking and he says, And the Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him, so Moses uh, is saying, "Look, God was going to, is going to raise up a uh, a prophet." Now, the fascinating thing, or at least to me, one of the fascinating things in the in the Old Testament was there was a separation of the priesthood and the and the monarchy, and. Um, and so what you see here is you see that uh, that there's going to be a combining of the uh, priesthood, a combining of the uh, prophetic uh, office, as well as uh, as a combining of uh, along with the. Uh, along with the monarchy, because God's already promised He's going to rule the nations. But now, He refers to Him as a prophet. And remember, Jesus is prophet and priest. He's our great high priest. And He is king. Uh, you, see, you see all of these offices combined in the singular person of the Messiah. And of course, that Messiah is the Lord Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, which is a very familiar passage, and we hear it a lot during, uh, during the Advent season, uh, Isaiah said, For to us a child is born, 
to us a son is given. Now notice the child is born. That's the humanity. A son is given. God gave His only begotten Son. The second person of the Godhead stepped out of eternity into time and space and was born uh, of the Virgin Mary. So here, here again, you, uh, you see this uh, wonderful prophecy of the Old Testament uh, fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus. And then it goes on to talk about uh, the, the effect of what will happen uh, because of this person. So the incarnation is going to happen. And then it says, And the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David. So again, what what we see here is there's just an unfolding throughout the Old Testament of what God was going to do in this one who has been promised way back in Genesis chapter 3 who will crush the head of the old devil. Uh, furthermore, uh, probably the most quoted uh, verse of the Old Testament uh, in, that is in the New Testament the most quoted verse from the Old Testament is Psalm 110 verses 1 and, and 4 and notice what it says here it says the Lord says to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek now there's a lot here that we really just don't have time to get into. But the the main point that I want to make at this point is that this is recognized as a messianic verse. It's talking about um, uh, the one who would come who ultimately would be ruler. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, Sitting at the right hand of the Father. But then he goes on to say, you are a priest. You who are sitting at the right hand of the Father, you are a priest forever. So once again, we see this combining of the the priestly and the ruling and the prophetic function of uh, of Messiah, and it's all fulfilled ultimately in the person of the Lord Jesus. Now. Another thing that God had said in the Old Testament that related to their expectations of a coming Messiah was something right at the end of the Old Testament canon. And that was uh, in in Malachi chapter 4 where God says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes and He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. So he says there is a forerunner who is coming. There is one who is coming. Now he, he refers to him as Elijah here. Now in Matthew 11 verse 14 uh, Jesus clearly says that John the baptizer is the fulfillment of this promise. That he is the one who like Elijah uh, turned out to be the forerunner. He was the one who who uh, made the way clear. The forerunner, when, when the king would, would uh, come to visit, uh, they would send out people ahead of time and they would get the rocks out of the road. They would clear out the way and make clear the, the way for the, uh, for the king to come. And he said that would be uh, <clears throat> the, the task of uh, John the baptizer. And so between Malachi and, and Matthew um, and Luke, uh, the gospel writers, but between uh, that time there were, there were years and years of foreign oppression and occupation. There had been, I mean, at the time that uh, Luke is doing his writing and, well, uh, in fact, all of the, uh, the gospel writers um, and the, all of the New Testament, Rome was firmly in control of this area. Um, Judea and Samaria were simply uh, uh, provinces, as it were, of the of the of the uh, 
state of Rome. So there had been years of foreign oppression and occupation. Uh, by this time, by the time of the writing of, uh, of, of Luke and the coming of the Messiah, there's been about 400 years of silence from God. God's made all of these promises. He's, he's said, here's what you need to know to identify this one when He does arrive. And in fact, I'm going to send a forerunner who will make the way for Him and then God stops speaking. And for 400 years... It's quiet. And yet, the Jewish people continued through to, uh, to do their religious traditions and their rituals, and they went through all of the motions, just like uh, uh, we often do today and don't give things a, a whole lot of uh, thought. But then the silence is broken in Luke chapter 1, where there's an unexpected announcement that's made. And and that's where we want to pick up the story today. Uh, the time, because of the uh, the difference in the way the calendar was set up, the time is around six BC, somewhere between six and four BC. When we uh, when we read about this in Luke chapter one, the scene is Judea. Uh, that's uh, again one of the uh, one of the provinces. There in the Middle East, it belonged to uh, to Rome. It was a uh, uh, occupied by Roman soldiers. It says, uh, beginning at uh, at verse five, it says, "In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth." So these are both Jews. And they're both uh, from uh, from the tribe of Levi, which which makes sense. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, does that mean that they were sinless? No. It says that they were blameless. It doesn't say they were sinless, but it does mean that uh, they they. Uh, sought to obey the law, it meant when they did foul up, when they did commit sins, they knew the right sacrifice to offer uh, as the Old Testament uh, law required. And so they were doing all of those things, but they had a problem. And verse 7 tells us what that is, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So they've got two things going against them here. Um, and that is their age. And uh, for Elizabeth, the second thing was her barrenness because in, the, in this particular culture, it was, it was considered shameful uh, for a woman not to, not to have children. That it was all, and many people even thought, well, you must be under the curse of God or otherwise you would, uh, you would have children. So they're dealing with all of this and, and obviously they would, at an advanced age, they would have uh, just given up hope of ever having a child. Now it tells us in verse 8, Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. There were... uh, the priesthood was divided up into divisions. Not all the priests lived in Jerusalem. Usually, that was just the uh, the, the high priest and the uh, and the real high type uh, officials. And what they would do is, each, there were a number of divisions, and each division would come in for a period of uh, weeks or months, and would serve and uh, do the things that needed to be done there at the temple. And then they would go back home, and then another division would take their place. Well, now it's um, it's Zechariah's turn. His division is uh, is on duty, and he has been chosen by lot. Uh, to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. That now he could not go back to the holy of holies. Only the uh, the high priest could go back there, and that was only once a day on the day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And Zechariah was not the high priest. He was a priest, but not the high priest. And so 
uh, what he was going to do is he was going to enter not into the Holy of Holies, but the, the Holy Place. That was the room that was just in front of the Holy of Holies where the showbread was and the, uh, the, the lamp stand. And there was also an altar of incense that sat just outside this very thick curtain that separated these two compartments, the, the Holy Place from the Holy of Holies. And so his job was to go in there and to burn the incense and the incense would waft back through the curtain into the Holy of Holies and it was a way to worship God. And uh, people were gathered there. Verse 10 tells us, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So now... Uh, whether or not Zechariah had ever been chosen by Lot to burn incense, we just don't know. The Bible does, Luke doesn't tell us here. But the truth is, is that this was a very unusual occurrence. Uh, Zechariah certainly knew generally what to expect. You you go in and you burn the incense, and then you come out and you lift both hands and you bless the Lord and bless the people, and everybody goes home. And uh, that was what the expectation was. And all of a sudden, there's this extraterrestrial who's standing there in the holy place with you. And uh, you can imagine what, uh, what a shock that, uh, that was. Uh, <clears throat> there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. I bet he was. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been... Heard now. What prayer is that? Uh, well, it's the prayer that he and his wife had been praying for years and years. Uh, <clears throat> your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, why 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 will many rejoice at his birth? Because they're going to discover that this is the forerunner. This is going to bring joy. There were some people, as we'll see as we work our way through this story, who genuinely had an expectation of a coming Messiah, particularly with the times as trouble, uh, troublesome as they were then. But the uh, but for the most part, you know, people were just kind of going through the motions. It says he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So he says, okay, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him John, and he will be a Nazarite. Now, if you want to read about Nazarites, you can read all about that in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, there were uh, several, I think, three prohibitions uh, to be a Nazarite. You could either you could either take a, a, a temporary Nazarite vow, or you could be permanently a Nazarite. A Nazarite would never uh, cut his hair. He would never drink. Uh, or eat anything from the vine. No wine, no raisins, no grape juice. Uh, and he would not never have any contact with a dead body, including his uh, members of his own family. So this, uh, there were only three people in the, uh, in the whole Bible who are um, referred to as having a permanent Nazarite vow. Uh, Samuel was uh, from the, uh, the last of the... Uh, the, the judges and uh, and also Samson um, and certainly Samson broke all three of those vows and uh, and then the third one is uh, is John the baptizer he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and we'll uh, we'll see that happen and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him that is before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now does that sound familiar? Well, if you were paying attention earlier, it should sound familiar because that is a direct reference to Malachi chapter 4 where God says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers. 
So God is saying here to, I'm sorry, uh, the angel of the Lord is speaking to Zechariah here and telling him, look, this is the forerunner. Certainly Zechariah would have been very, very familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures what we call the Old Testament, and certainly with this passage from Malachi chapter 4. And so when uh, the angel of the Lord quotes that, Zechariah would understand the importance of that. Hey, if if this is my son, uh, if, if this person named John uh, is indeed the forerunner, what does that say? If he's the forerunner, Messiah's got to be coming right behind him. And that's the whole point. Now, of course, Zechariah uh, is, is a little taken back by all of this. And in verse 18 it says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? In other words, he's looking for a sign. How can I verify what you're saying to me is really true? I, I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. You know, she's, she's postmenopausal. Uh, this is this is insane to even consider this. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. You want proof? Here it is, verse 20. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I suspect, you know, I don't, I, you know how preachers are. They love to talk. And uh, so this may have been upsetting for Zechariah, but I imagine Elizabeth probably <laughs> was somewhat pleased by the whole thing. said, man, at least it's going to be quiet in the house. But... And that's essentially the last that we hear anything until six months later when this same Gabriel appears to Mary and begins to uh, relate to her what is going to take place. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that uh, in, a, in another session sometime. Now, skip down in, in Luke's record of all of this to, and let's see how it, how it ultimately came to pass in verse uh, 57 and following. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And in verse 62 it says, And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted uh, him to be called. Now, to me, this is this is a this is a, a humorous kind of thing. We we understand that Zechariah could not speak, so if he wanted to communicate, you know, he either had to use some sort of hand motions, or he had to get out some sort of writing tablet and say, you know, here's here's what the deal is. But in verse 62, it says they made signs to him. That is, the neighbors made signs to him, inquiring what he wanted him to be called so <laughs> they're kind of giving it back to him uh, uh, it says and he Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is John not his name will be John but his name is John and they all wondered and immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So the word is out now about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and certainly about John. The silence, uh, the 400 years of silence has been broken. And notice what, um, what Zechariah says. He was, uh, it says in verse 67, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. Now notice, that's past tense. God has visited and He has redeemed His people. Now, has Messiah even been born yet? And the answer is no. 
Remember, Mary um, had the visitation. She came uh, and stayed with uh, Elizabeth for for a while, probably until close to the time of the uh, the birth. She may have stayed there until John was born. And uh, the the Bible is Luke is just not real definitive as far as that's concerned, but. So she's still got about three months to go in her pregnancy, but Elizabeth has just given birth, and when Zechariah blesses the Lord and praises the Lord for what's happened, he uses the past tense. He says, God has visited and redeemed His people. Notice, it's as good as done. This is the forerunner. Surely Messiah will be shortly behind Him. And again, the past tense we see in the next verse, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old. Remember, that's what we were talking about earlier, that it would that, the, that He's going to come from the tribe of Judah, Messiah would, that He's going to come from the family of David, <clears throat> just as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. That is the covenant that God had made with Abraham. The the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear. You see, that the, the Jewish people were generally all in fear because of the, the occupation of Rome, just because of the, the times they were living in. He says, delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, John, you, you newborn, you, you, you here as, as we name you, you're eight days old today, and you, we're giving, and you have the name John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. The Most High. That's God. This one who would follow, whom, for whom John would open the way. This was none other than God Himself. The incarnate God, God in human flesh. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He is, uh, this one who is coming will bring light um, he, oh, he will drive away the darkness and you are going to have the privilege of, of introducing Him. And then in verse 80 it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And of course that's about 30 years later when that happened. Now, what do you suppose? Do you think the people were still wondering about John at the time? Or after three decades had, had all of that sort of slipped away from him? Uh, John's going to begin his uh, public ministry. And that's what we see in, uh, in Luke chapter 3. Notice uh, 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 Luke tells us about John's message and his methodology in Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 7 through 9. <clears throat> and uh, he said, therefore, now the he there is a reference to the baptizer, to, to John. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, <clears throat> now, can you imagine that uh, being a, a preacher addressing the congregation that way? You bunch of snakes. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Now, physically they did have Abraham of their, as their father. They were direct physical descendants of Abraham. 
But he says, no, no. What's important is you, that you be a spiritual descendant of Abraham. And for what was it that Abraham was known for? He was known for his faith, his faith in God. Don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God's able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Notice he says, here's John's message. And he says, it's time for repentance. Uh, I'm here to announce the coming of the Messiah. And He is one who will rule in righteousness and holiness. And it is time for you to repent of your sins. It's time for you to repent of having gone through the motions. See, it's, it's, if you think about it, it's real easy to forget about God and His Word during, the, during times when it seems as if He's... Uh, doesn't care at all. You know, we go through rituals, we have our own little traditions, and they can give us some sort of comfort to some extent because they link us to the past, but also they can, if we're not careful, they can dull our awareness of the changes in the present as we simply go through the motions. Uh, and that's what a lot of these people were doing in, in first century uh, uh, Judea and, and Israel. And I, I fear that that's what a lot of us are doing today is just simply going through the motions. We look around us at all the things that are going on and the COVID-19, the again, the political unrest, the, uh, the waning numbers of people who are uh, who are attending churches. I mean, look at Europe. The, the cathedrals are just essentially empty now where people have just turned away. And for those who uh, still attend, for, for many, it's just a matter of going through the motions. It's just the rituals because somehow they connect us with the past and we, we need that connection. But it really doesn't make any difference. You know, God, God uh, the, the attitude is that God doesn't really care. He's apparently sort of abandoned us. But the truth is, is that when we think that God's uncaring or we think that He is irrelevant, we need to remember that God has revealed Himself and He's revealed His will through His Son and through the Scriptures and that we exist for His glory. Um, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, very, very first two verses it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. In other words, you know, there were signs, there were wonders. Uh, sometimes God would use an angelic visitation. Sometimes God would speak through a prophet. Sometimes... Uh, uh, just all different kinds of things and in different times he would do it in different ways and that's the point that the writer of Hebrews is making in the past that's the way God did but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son so now God used to, used to communicate in a lot of different kind of ways but right now if you want to know what the what the full and final word is, there's only one way, and that is through the Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom, incidentally, He made the universe. God has said all He intends to say in the person of His blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter even talked about this in his second letter when he said we were talking about the apostles we were eyewitnesses of his majesty we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain in other words when we were on the mountain of transfiguration and you know I got up there and came up with a brilliant idea of, well, let's let's build three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And this voice came out of heaven. And he said, we heard that voice when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. 
and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in the darkness until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So look, we were eyewitnesses. We heard the voice there when, when I came up with that goofy idea about building all those tabernacles. We heard God's voice speak, said, this is my son. Listen to him. And he said, you would do well to pay attention to it. See, John's, John's message, the baptizer's message, was a preparatory one. It was, it, was, it was one of repentance. The word repent means to change your mind. Of course, if you genuinely change your mind, then what happens to your behavior? It changes as well. The human condition, apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, is that of radical corruption. Look, the only thing that God owes us is judgment because of our sin. God owes us judgment, but God has sent His Son to die for the sins of all of His people apart apart from knowing and receiving and experiencing that forgiveness that there is in Christ. There is only spiritual deadness and hostility toward God. God's call for repentance is an indicator of His great mercy for His undeserving creatures. Oh God, please don't give me what I deserve. I'm not looking for justice. I'm looking for grace and mercy. Jesus took my justice when He died on the cross. Now, in Mark chapter 1, we see... John baptizing the Lord Jesus. It says in beginning at verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when He came up out of the water, immediately He, John, saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him, Jesus, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You, Jesus, are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. John witnessed that. John understood about Jesus' identity. And John was certain about that. In John chapter 1, and of course the time now, uh, at the time of John chapter 1 is around A.D. 26. Uh, Jesus uh, entered... uh, his ministry at about the age of 30, we're told. Uh, in John 1, verse 29, it says, The next day he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John bore witness. All right, so here's John's testimony about Jesus. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water, who was that? That was God, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John understood what his role was. You know, we're talking about uh, we're talking about these these longings, longing for the for the light in troubled times. Come, thou long expected Jesus. John understood what his role was. Uh, he realized that there was an inverse correlation uh, in his ministry compared with that the ministry of the of the Lord Jesus. In John chapter three beginning at verse 25 it says now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to John and said to him Rabbi he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness look he's baptizing and all are going to him uh Jesus, this guy Jesus is is getting all the crowds now. They're they're going over to him. Our our crowds are dwindling, and his crowds are increasing. Verse twenty eight says, "You yourselves bear me witness that I said I 
John is speaking, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And then verse 30 is the key verse. He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, probably one of the most, if not the most difficult instrument to play in the symphony of life is second fiddle. He must increase, I must decrease. John recognized that his, his assignment was to introduce the Messiah. And now Messiah is on the scene and it is time for John's place to begin to uh, vanish away. And ultimately it, it would when completely when he was, when he was beheaded. Now, John, John had his own frailties and John struggled with things just like the rest of us. Uh, and you have, to, you have to wonder about John's um, expectations. Were they fulfilled or, or not? Because there is a passage uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11 uh, that occurred about two years after, uh, after uh, he baptized Jesus. Now remember, uh, he heard the voice from heaven. He saw the Spirit of God come and descend on Jesus like a dove and remain on Him. He's testified, I, I know He's the one. And, and He's also said, look, I know our crowds are dwindling, but He must increase and I've got to decrease. But then when John was arrested and put in prison, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, it says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by His disciples and said to Him, Jesus, are You the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Notice after, after, after 30 years in the wide open spaces and then after a couple of years or so of preaching and teaching and calling people to repentance, now He struggles. And notice Jesus' encouragement to him again from Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 4. And what Jesus does is He quotes from the Old Testament because John would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah. And Jesus answered them, that is the disciples who had come to ask uh, Jesus, John wants to know, are you really the one or... Should we be looking for somebody else? You know, it just doesn't seem like that we're that we're being released from the bondage. I mean, the Romans are still around. In Matthew 11, then Jesus answered them, those disciples of John, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Notice, Jesus doesn't rebuke John and say, you sorry dog, you've been doing all this preaching of repentance. What is the matter with you? What, what, where is your faith, man? What, what did Jesus do? Jesus pointed him to the Scriptures. He said, what did the Scriptures say that Messiah would do? What did Isaiah say specifically that, that Messiah would do when Messiah comes? And he quotes that. That must have been a, a real encouragement to John. We're not, we're not told what John's response was. I think when we look at John, uh, there's an application that we can draw, and, and that is that our awareness of and our acceptance of and our obedience to God in His role for us produces several things. Uh, for if we're true believers in Christ, it should produce contentment knowing that we're doing God's will. See, God has a plan for each of us. He has a purpose for each of us. He's given us, uh, each of us, uh, at least one spiritual gift. Some have more than that. And uh, we're not to compare those gifts with uh, with one another. We're just to use those gifts to, to minister to others, to build up uh, others in the, uh, in, in the faith. Um, and he, in fact, Paul even 
Baldwin uses the analogy of the human body, saying, "Look, they, you know, the, I can't say to the ear, I don't have any need of you, um, etc." So, <clears throat> it also produces for the body of Christ growth and maturity as as we use those gifts in ministering to other people. We don't have to manipulate people; we just minister to people. We do. Uh, we just utilize the gifts that God has given us, just as John utilized his gift of preaching, uh, preaching of repentance, and God used that to bring many to faith and to turn people from their sin and turn them in the direction of the Lord Jesus. And as they listened to Jesus and as God worked in their lives, God saved all kinds of people, and is still doing that today. If we're aware of and accept the role that God has for us and we're obedient to that role, it also produces uh, a result for God. And that is, it results in His glory. As our lives reflect the, His His presence and His power within us. You know, God does not exist for our pleasure. We exist for His pleasure. God does not exist for our glory. We exist for His glory. The old Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question one, what is the chief end of man? The response to glorify God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Let's think again about that hymn that we were listening to at the very beginning. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Notice notice the the verbs that are in here. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal Spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, Raise us to Thy glorious throne. Notice those verbs. Uh, Come, release us, find, reign, rule, raise us. You know, the purpose of Jesus' birth is to... uh, And Wesley uh, just brings that out here. is Is to set His people free from their fears from their sin, from their restlessness, from their hopelessness, from their disappointments. And how does He do that? He does that by His rule and His reign in the hearts of His people. And how does He accomplish all of that? Just one way. It's on the basis of Christ's merit that has been imputed to His people. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Between the cradle and the crown, there looms a cross. Praise be to God for His great grace and mercy. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Wesley wrote that uh, in 1744 and is still the cry of every heart of every person who genuinely longs for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Praise be to God. Amen. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. Write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.